Take your Bibles, if you would, and turn to Isaiah chapter 9. We'll be there in just a moment. I've noticed one thing over the years that many people at Christmas time, in an attempt to add some kind of religious flavor to the season, will, if they don't do anything else, will, will focus on the manger. And I've noticed that people focus almost exclusively on the manger, and they never move past that. I have never seen a Christmas card with Jesus dying on the cross, bloody and gasping for air. Never seen a Christmas card like that. It's always sweet little pictures of a perfectly clean stable, and all the animals are keeping a safe distance from the baby, and all the animals are singing joy to the world, and it's just a perfect little scene. But Here's what I want to say to you this morning. The manger doesn't make sense by itself. We cannot understand any of what the coming of Christ into the world means if we just focus on the manger. And to understand what happened in that manger and what it all means, we first have to understand why that baby came. And to understand why he came... We have to go back centuries before and look at the events before the coming of Christ. The manger really has no meaning by itself. But we can understand it by looking back at the events that took place prior to his coming and by looking at the life of this baby as he grew to be a man and by looking ahead at how his first coming points to his second coming. And we're going to end this brief three-week series on a very happy, joyful note as we set our hearts two weeks from today on the return of Christ. I'll try to um, hold myself down on that Sunday. Maybe you want to anchor my shoes to the floor just to keep me still because, uh, as I said last week, I think it was, the more and more that takes place in this world, the more uh, I long for his coming. That's why I've called this Christmas series... Christmas, the best is yet to come. So today, we're going to look at waiting for his coming. Next Sunday, we're going to talk about rejoicing at his birth. And then the third Sunday, the 19th, we're going to talk about longing for his return. So today, we're going to look back hundreds of years before Jesus was born and placed in that manger. And by going back in time, we're going to see exactly why he had to come. I'm going to read just one verse right now, and then we'll pick up the others in just a few minutes. This passage of Scripture in Isaiah 9 is so familiar to us. You know, it's like hearing your mom or dad give you that same correction over and over as you were growing up. You just kind of don't hear it anymore. It just becomes part of the background noise. I, you know, I never did that, but I heard that that happened to some kids. They say familiarity breeds contempt. Maybe that's so, but I, I think actually familiarity breeds complacency. And we've got to be really, really careful to not let that happen, especially with God's Word. How many people's hearts still skip a beat when they hear somebody getting ready to quote John 3.16? Or is it like, everybody knows that? So this passage, I mean, if you've been in church all your life, you've heard this hundreds of times, I'm sure. But let's, uh, let's try to... Um, Wipe all of that off the board. Let's try to begin afresh this morning like we're hearing this for the first time. Isaiah chapter 9, verse 2. 
The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in the land of the shadow of death, or it can also be interpreted a land of deep darkness, upon them a light has shined. Now, it's important, as always, to understand the context of what we've just read and the time in which this was taking place. I intentionally chose to begin our Christmas series here at this time in history where we've just read these words, because what we've just read is taking place roughly during the same time that we've been looking at in our Through the Bible study, and we're up to 2 Kings now. So now we're stepping back to right in that same time period when the kingdom of Israel had been divided into two parts, Israel and Judah, and there was terrible wickedness going on among God's people, and those two nations were about to be carried off into captivity. Now, we've seen in 2 Kings, we've seen the prophets Elijah and Elisha preaching the truth of God to the people and to the kings, but both of them are gone now. They're both off the scene. And so now we're in a time of history where God begins to raise up more prophets to warn the people of the impending judgment that is going to fall if they don't repent and turn back to him. And Isaiah is one of those prophets in that time. Now when he says the people are walking in darkness, what in the world does he mean? Does he mean the uh, power grid went out, they had no electricity, what was, what's going on? Well, if we turn back just one chapter to Isaiah 8, we can catch a glimpse of the kind of darkness that they were walking in, that they were living in. Now remember, as I said a moment ago, don't lose sight of this. These are God's people to whom these words are being spoken. Isaiah chapter 8, verse 19. And when they say to you, that's the unbelievers, the heathens, the pagans, when they say to you, seek those who are mediums and wizards, whisper and mutter. And then Isaiah pauses and says, should not a people seek their God? Should they seek the dead on behalf of the living? This is what God's people were doing. By the way, stay away from psychics and fortune tellers, would you please? For heaven's sake, stay, just stay clear of all of that. Verse 20, Isaiah says, to the law and to the testimony. In other words, he's saying, get up, and get back to where you need to be. How many hundreds of times have you heard me say, really, the only thing I can ever do for you is to point you to the Word of God? Because if I give you my advice, probably not going to turn out real well. And this is what Isaiah is doing. He says, in other words, in parentheses, you could add the words, get back. He's saying, get back to the law and to the testimony. If they, if those heathen people do not speak according to this word, it is because there is no light in them. Verse 21, how's it going to turn out for them, Isaiah? Well, they will pass through it hard-pressed and hungry. And it shall happen when they are hungry that they will be enraged and curse their king and their God and look upward. Then they will look to the earth and see trouble and darkness, gloom of anguish, and they will be driven into darkness. Now, what we've just read took place roughly 700 years before Christ was born. But I don't know if you picked this up as we were reading through it. Those words could just as well have been written to our nation today. Today. It describes people who look up to God with contempt, and they look down to the earth for advice. 
Everywhere you turn today, people are doing the same thing, which is why I tell you all the time, the Old Testament is not old at all. It's still as applicable and relevant to our lives as it ever was. These people in Isaiah's day ended up in exactly the same place that everyone who looks to worldly things for answers will end up. The last line of Isaiah 8.22, they will be driven into darkness. Now, the Bible has a lot to say about darkness and light all the way through the Bible. And it uses darkness to describe that which is evil. It describes people who walk in darkness as people who uh, have rejected the truth and the knowledge of God. And then light. Light is the opposite of that, obviously. Satan's kingdom is called a kingdom of darkness. Christ's kingdom is a kingdom of light. Uh, John writes this beautifully in 1 John near the end of your Bible. He talks about the importance of not just saying you're a follower of Christ, but the proof is, are you walking in darkness or are you walking in light? And so that's the metaphor used here throughout the Bible. And God is saying through Isaiah that these people who look to the earth for answers and curse God for the way things turn out, well, I tell you, they, they are going to be driven into darkness. And, you know, I, I just have to pause and ask if anybody else has noticed that this past year and a half, I have felt a more sinister spirit of darkness over this land than I've ever felt in my entire existence. I mean, there's not just bad stuff going on. It's way deeper than that. There is a spirit of darkness. It is evil, pure evil. And it is all around us. And so what we're looking at today, again, is not some dusty old story from the past. This is addressing us today as God's people. We are surrounded by darkness, but we must not be engaged in the darkness and this is what Isaiah is doing. You know, we see here again the incredible love and long-suffering of Jesus. How he could have just written these people off. But like a loving parent, he doesn't spare the rod. He, when they need it, he corrects them. He hurts them if he needs to. Why? To bring them back. Because they're his children. He loves them. He wants fellowship with them. This is his desire still blows my mind. Why would God want to spend five minutes with me? I don't like spending time with me most days. And so when we see prophets coming and saying hard things to the people, don't walk away just thinking about the hard things they said. Understand why they're saying it. It's like you saying to your little child, I had to do with Nick one time. We were playing soccer in the front yard and the ball went out across the road and he was maybe three and he just took off running for the road. And I ran behind him calling his name and I literally dove and grabbed him by the collar of his shirt and, and yanked him down at the last minute. A car was coming by. Now my yelling at him, if, if it were taken out of context, could have made me look like a terrible parent. And I certainly had plenty of failures. But my yelling at him was because I loved him. That's what the prophets are doing. They're saying God doesn't want to leave you on your own. He cares for you too much. And so he's sending this trouble into your life to make your bottom hurt a little bit so that you'll turn around and you'll come running back to your father. 
But boy, we need to continue to pray for what's going on in the world around us. There is sinister evil that is just bubbling up everywhere. How is it possible, though, that, that the darkness Isaiah described 2,700 years ago is still so prevalent today? I mean, with all of man's valiant efforts and valiant strides to make the world a better place, I mean, the United Nations, all the peace treaties that have been signed throughout the years, all the trillions of dollars that have been spent on education and research and social reform, all the advancements in science and health and technology, surely by now, as clever as we are, surely by now we would have figured out how to get rid of all this evil and darkness in the world and we'd all be living in peace and harmony. But we're not. And the reason none of that has solved man's problems and the reason it never will is spelled out very clearly in chapter 8 in, in what we've just read. Because rather than looking to God for guidance and help, mankind continues to look to the earth for human solutions. They spend their lives trying to find some thing, some idea, some product, some person, some philosophy, some political ideology to make sense of the darkness they're in. But none of those things are the answer. Because what you need when you're trapped in the darkness, is for the light to be turned on. It's so simple. What you need when you're trapped in the darkness is for light to be turned on. We've all experienced this, especially when our kids were younger, especially if you had a boy who loved Legos and left them scattered on the floor. You get up in the middle of the night in darkness. You're trying not to wake your spouse or the neighbors two houses down which you're about to do, and you're walking through the darkness and you step on a piece of Lego in your barefoot. I want to tell you, women, you talk about childbirth pain? <laughs> no. Nah. Lego, Lego on the foot. It's got that beat all day. <coughs> Why? Why? Why did you stumble over that? Why did you get hurt over that? Because you were trying to walk in darkness. The solution is not to call the Lego company and ask them for advice. The solution is not to call in experts about uh, feng shui in your house and see if you need to rearrange the furniture. The answer is simple. You need some light. That's all you need. Yet man continues to say, we can fix this. We just need to look to our experts or our scholars or our politicians. Heaven help us. We can fix this. We're, we're clever enough to create a better future through our human effort and our ingenuity. Just watch us. We're going to build back better. No, you won't. No, you won't. But really, what do you expect? When people have no faith in God, when they're guided by a humanistic agenda, the only things they can turn to are scientists or economists or politicians or modern-day gurus. But here's why that will never work. Psalm 127, verse 1. Unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. All human attempts to solve spiritual problems are in vain. All human attempts to solve spiritual problems are in vain. 
You understand how much is, is behind that statement. That means when problems arise in your life, between you and your spouse, or you and your children, or your boss, or your neighbor, or your family, when issues come into your life that are bigger than you, the first thing you need to do is not turn to the earth for solutions. You need to look upward. You need to turn to God. Because God says our battles in this life are not against flesh and blood. They're not against other people. I know some people, there are a few people in this town who hate me. Can you imagine? <laughs> me. They hate me. Some of them have gone online and posted terrible lies about me online. But here's what, in all those things in life, and you have those things too, those people are not my enemy. They're walking in darkness. They're looking for human ways to attack. But we need to fight our battles on the spiritual plane. Oh, I can't, I can't go on on that. That's, that's for another day. We don't need better ideas in this world. We need a savior. That's what Christmas is all about. That's what that manger is all about. Man without a savior is hopelessly and eternally lost in darkness. I remember years ago watching a breaking news story on television. I can't remember what state this was in. Maybe West Virginia, that seems to sound right. But a coal mine had collapsed. And miners had been trapped deep, deep beneath the surface of the earth. Crews gathered at the scenes. They brought in equipment as quickly as they could. And they began to drill down towards where they thought the miners would be. News crews gathered. This was beamed around the world in real time. And they worked day and night. And a couple of days went by. And the miners were still trapped. I'll never forget seeing the images on television of that first miner being brought up to the surface. They pulled him up out of the darkness into the light and he was just covered in coal dust and was frail and weak and exhausted. And he told how the one light they had that had survived the, the collapse eventually went out and they were trapped in total darkness. Oxygen was running low. His friends around him were dying because there were dangerous gases now coming into the little pocket of air that they had. And he said all hope was lost. And he described, though, the joy he felt when that drill finally broke through and he saw a stream of light burst into that darkness. And he said, it was that light that renewed my hope when all hope was gone. He said he knew when he saw that light that someone was coming to save him. And because of sin, all of mankind is trapped in darkness. We've been trapped without hope, without any chance of rescuing ourselves. And even when we sit here this morning, there are millions of people still trapped in darkness around the world with no light and no hope on their own. So the question is, where can a person go to find that light? In the midst of such pervasive darkness, light that will bring truth and understanding and clarity and freedom. Because here's the thing, if anyone wants to understand what that manger was really all about, then that's the question that must be answered. Where can this light be found? More specifically, where can this Savior be found? 
Well, Isaiah has already alluded to the answer, but now he's going to give us that answer in very specific terms. So let's go back to Isaiah chapter 9. We'll read verse 2 again, and then we'll pick up the following verses. Isaiah 9, 2. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in the land of deep darkness, upon them a light has shined. Now, Isaiah is writing this in the past tense, and that's another sermon on itself. This is 700 years before that light came, but he is so certain of God's promise of the coming light, he's writing it in past tense. Remarkable. Verse 3, you have multiplied the nation, you have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest, and they are glad when they divide the spoil. For you have broken the yoke of his burden and the staff of his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor as in the day of Midian. For every warrior's boot from the noisy battle and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. Now Isaiah is telling about what's going to happen when, when Jesus the king comes and reigns. But as you're reading this, if you don't know this story, surely you'd have to say, how is this going to happen, Isaiah? Where is that light? Where is that Savior going to come from? Well, he gives us the answer in the next verse. Verse 6, for unto us a child is born, to us a son is given, and you have to go, um, what? All that stuff you just talked about in the previous verses, that's going to happen because a child is born? And the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end on the throne of David and over his kingdom to order it and establish it with judgment and justice from this time forth and forevermore. Man, I love that statement. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will accomplish this. So what's happening here, speaking through Isaiah, God is giving this ironclad promise that one day a Savior will come and he will bring light into the current darkness that Isaiah is living in. And when Isaiah wrote this, the, the nation was shrouded in spiritual darkness. We've seen this in our through the Bible study. Unbelievable wickedness taking place in the nation. But here's the thing, there were still a faithful few who were holding on who were walking in the light and waiting and longing for this promised one to come. And man, those words of Isaiah must have sparked renewed hope in their heart. I can't imagine how their hearts must have jumped. And all those who love the Lord and long for his coming, I'm certain must have soaked up these words from Isaiah. And what happened in that manger is more than a baby being born. It was the fulfillment of this promise that God had made roughly 700 years before. That baby born in the manger was the promised light that was coming into the world. And it's just amazing to me to think about that time in history. I'm so thankful that I wasn't born in that time period. Because it's easy for us to read through those chapters in the Old Testament. Even you get to the last verse in the last book of the Old Testament of Malachi, and we just flip the page right over to Matthew. But in the turn of that page, 400 years went by. No word from God. You understand? You understand darkness? That kind of darkness? God said, I got to give him some time to know what it's like to live without me. 400 years of darkness. Generation after generation had waited in that darkness 
for this light to come. And even all the way into the New Testament, those faithful ones were still waiting and trusting that they would live to see the promised Savior. And I want to leave you this morning with one beautiful example of someone who was waiting for the Savior to come, for that light to come. And it's amazing to me, this event is rarely talked about in the Christmas season. And I don't understand. It's one of the most beautiful moments in history, I think. And it provides for us this morning a perfect exclamation point for what we've just talked about. So turn, if you would, to Luke chapter 2. We're going to jump over to the New Testament. Luke chapter 2, starting in verse 21. I just want to read this section for you. Maybe some of you have never heard this. I want you to try to put yourself in the place of these people, the faithful ones who had passed down this promise. Imagine, imagine sitting down with your little kids in this time in history and saying to them, this world we live in is so evil, honey. But when you grow up, you hold on to that promise. You stay faithful. I know we don't see the answer now, but you stay faithful. The light is coming. He said it would. And that little one grows up. And as children of her own, the light still hasn't come. But she faithfully sits down with her little ones and says, you hold on. That promise is coming. That light will come because he said it would. And they live and die. And generation after generation has been passing down this promise. Can you imagine holding on to this for hundreds and hundreds of years and seeing no answer? Hey, you know what? I sometimes get miffed when God doesn't answer my prayer by Thursday at 3.15. What a weak, pathetic follower of Christ I must be. Hundreds of years these people waited. They stood alone. They stood out in the darkness. And now, now we come to this moment in Luke 2, 21. Watch this. Jesus has just been born. And it says, and when eight days were completed for the circumcision of the child, that's Jesus, his name was called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. And when the days of Mary's purification, according to the law of Moses, were completed, they brought Jesus to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. I mean, this is mind-blowing. They're bringing the Son of God to present him to God. I don't even... I don't even have enough circuits in my brain to begin to process that. Verse 23, as it is written in the law of the Lord, every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. Verse 25, now watch this. There was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. We know nothing about this man except this moment right here. And this man was just and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. Verse 27, and he came by the Spirit into the temple. Hey, that's the way you and I need to come in here every Sunday. Separate thought. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, Simeon, this old man, they didn't know. Simeon took baby Jesus up in his arms. I mean, were they, what were Mary and Joseph doing? If a stranger in a mall came up to you and took your little baby out of your arms, 
There might be a problem. Joseph and Mary bringing this fragile little baby, their first child, just like all of us first parents. I had no clue what to do. Do I hold it like this? Do I hold it like this? What do I, what do, I do? He came to the temple and he took Jesus in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. There it is again, according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. Verse 33 states the obvious. And Joseph and his mother marveled at those things which were spoken of him. Don't you know they did? And we'll pick up right there next week. Simeon was apparently very old and just about ready to die. But he had been holding on, holding on. You ever seen a person who's maybe on their deathbed, but there's a, there's a child who's traveling from overseas to see them? You ever seen that person hold on until that child gets there and they can embrace and kiss and then the person lets go and they're gone? Simeon, old man, ready to die. He had been holding on not only to the larger promise that we've been looking at, but to the individual promise that God had given to him. Simeon, I don't know what it was about him that was so special in God's eyes. But God had said through the Holy Spirit, Simeon, you trust me on this, you're not going to die till you see the promised one. Oh, and every day. I wonder if he just searched the temple every day, every day, month after month, year after year, holding on to that promise. And then he saw this couple coming, and the Spirit said, hey, that's the one. He'd been holding on, waiting for the day when he'd see promised Savior enter the darkness of this world and bring light and life to a lost and dying humanity. And when he finally saw him with his own eyes, it was the crowning moment of his life. And it brought him such closure, such complete fulfillment that he said, Lord, you can take me home now, like right now. It's fine. You can take me home because my eyes have seen your salvation. That promised light had finally invaded the darkness. Salvation had come. That baby in the manger brought light to a dark world. He brought life to dead people. John 1.4 Oh, there's so many of these we could read. I had to discipline myself to edit so many out for time's sake. John 1, 4, in him was life, Jesus, and that life was the light of men. John 8, 12, Jesus spoke to them again saying, I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life. John 12, 46, I have come as a light into the world that whoever believes in me should not remain in darkness. Hey, there's the key. You got to believe in him. One more, 2 Corinthians 4, 6, Paul writing says, for God who said, let light shine out of darkness has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Wow. That light didn't just come into the world in a general sense and say, you know, like, like uh, happy, peaceful feelings, man. Everybody just enjoy it. No, it was an individual thing. You can have light come in today to illumine your personal darkness. Some of you hearing this message 
may still be living in darkness. And you're continuing to look to the things of this earth to find hope and peace and fulfillment and answers and direction, but you haven't found it, have you? You haven't found it. But this morning, the words of Isaiah have, as it, as it would be, have echoed down through the corridors of time, and they have fallen on your ears. And he's saying to you, there is freedom in the Lord Jesus Christ. He redeems us from the bondage of darkness and brings us into the kingdom of light. And he's offering that to you right now. The question is, what are you going to do with that invitation? Can I just say to you on a personal level, you, you can put up all kinds of fronts, but, but can we just get real? You don't want to stay in your darkness, do you? Surely not. You don't want to remain enslaved to your sin, do you? You don't want to keep looking to earthly things to try to find answers and peace and hope, do you? It's such an exhausting pursuit. I don't have the words to adequately describe to you the joy and the peace that will flood into your life the moment that you receive Jesus Christ as your Savior and he takes you out of the darkness into the light. It will be the greatest moment of your life. Your search will have come to the place where all searches should come to. Helen Keller is a name I'm sure we're all familiar with. She was a woman who was very familiar with being trapped in a world of darkness. She was born blind and deaf. Can you imagine? And so she lived in complete darkness and complete silence. When she was older, she wrote these words about her own life. I put them on the screen so you could see them. For years, I had no concept whatsoever of nature or mind or death or God. I was like an unconscious clod of earth. My days were a blank, without past, present, or future, without hope or anticipation, without interest or joy. And you know what? Listen, many people's lives today can be described in those same words. No hope. No joy. No future. They just get up and live every day just to get it over with. Just recently... A friend of our son's, 24 years old, ended his life. My kids have been to more funerals in their short lives than I did in 40 years. world's a different place, folks. You understand? One year ago, I believe this week, one of our daughter's best friends, I still remember the phone call from her about 11 o'clock one night, sobbing on the phone. <laughs> Her baby brother took his life. You see, there are people all around us. Never mind in some other part of the world. You and I rub shoulders with people all the time whose lives are empty and meaningless and hopeless. They're stuck in darkness. And you and I carry the answer within us. Helen Keller lived in this excruciating, painful darkness. But that's not the end of her story. One author wrote these words about her life. He said, her first awakening came when a teacher, Anne Sullivan, broke through her darkness and silence 
to communicate with her through words spelled into her hand. This opened up the world of human knowledge to her. But this awakening to human knowledge was not enough for her. She longed for another awakening to the world that is unseen even to those with their physical eyes intact. She longed to know about God, to experience Him in her own soul. That light came into her spiritual darkness when John Heights, a friend of hers, introduced her to the Scriptures. Here at last was the great light that she had been looking for to dispel a darkness of the soul that had come to trouble her far more than the darkness of her physical eyes. Most people don't have to contend with physical blindness and deafness like Helen Keller did, but even those with working eyes and ears still experience the spiritual darkness and silence that troubled her so much until she found that Christ alone could satisfy her deepest longings. And Helen Keller's experience of finding light in the darkness is, I think, a perfect reflection of the very event that we celebrate at this time of year. As you and I light Christmas lights, and when I say I, I mean you, as you guys light your Christmas lights, and as I cheer my wife on to light our Christmas lights, what we're doing is we're, we're symbolically lighting the darkness of this darkest time of year, winter. And it reminds us of the light that came into the world when the world was at its darkest. And the great light that shines in the darkness is none other than the Lord Jesus Christ, the source of all light and life. Are you in the light this morning? Are you? May I close with just reading the words of a song by Philip Bliss? I'm sure we're familiar with this. The whole world was lost in the darkness of sin. The light of the world is Jesus. Like sunshine at noonday, his glory shone in. The light of the world is Jesus. Come to this light. Tis shining for thee. Sweetly the light has dawned upon me. Once I was blind, but now I can see. The light of the world is Jesus. Aren't you glad he came? Has the light of Jesus ever broken through into your darkness? It can today. Let's pray. You've been listening to a broadcast from LifePoint Church in Greenville, South Carolina. If this ministry has touched your life in some way, we would love to hear from you. Just visit our website at www.lifepointsc.org for more information. Or, if you prefer to reach us by letter, you can write to us at P.O. Box 27036, Greenville, South Carolina, 29616, USA. Until next time, may God bless you as you continue to follow Him. of my heart I want to see